0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Today we begin a new series for the summer. And the series is entitled Divine Rescue, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. I want you to go in your Bibles with me. Go to the Old Testament. We're going to go to one of the greatest stories of redemption and rescue in the Bible, and that is God delivering his people from bondage and slavery under the mighty hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Who doesn't love a great story of rescue? Just this week, I was shown a video that made its way from footage of a police, police officer's body cam to social media. An officer called on scene, related to someone in our congregation. Boy, at the bottom of the pool. Called 911. That officer ran on scene. Officer Sears, Sterling Heights Police Office, Police Department. That baby was laying, a young boy beside the pool. Scooped it up, scooped that little boy up, flipped him over. (claps) Pretty soon, you hear crying. Gives that boy back into the arms of the parents. That is an incredible, an incredible story of rescue. And there might be young people watching that see that and say, you know what? Maybe I was going to be a video game programmer. Maybe I was going to be this or that and make money, but I think I want to put my life into serving people. And our first responders, and I've been there on scenes when it didn't turn out well, when the story didn't end well for the victim, for the person suffering, and for the family. And so we celebrate the times when there is a good outcome, when there is a rescue, when there is someone who ran in and knew what to do. It's a divine rescue through people that God uses. And we celebrate that. And we honor those men and women who put their lives on the line and they go to danger. As we come to these accounts that we're going to look at in these coming weeks, we love to hear accounts like this. My grandfather pulled me out of the lake, or I wouldn't be here today. I was that kid. My grandma, watching out of the window, Victor, go get Brian. How many times has the Lord intervened in our lives? You know, so many people in our world, maybe even you here today, Maybe you're watching online and you are living life without hope. Maybe you or you know someone that is dealing with depression. Maybe addiction, maybe rebellion against God, against your parents, against authority maybe against grandparents maybe we can be tempted to think these people that we love are too far gone they've just been too many years on this course on this road i don't i don't know that they'll ever come back I, I don't know if they'll ever if this rescue that i believe god can do but i just don't know if it includes them Paul described when he wrote to the Ephesians, life that was without Christ, and it is embodied in that sermon opener, and he says in Ephesians 2.12, remember, have you forgotten, church? Do you remember that you were at that time before Christ, at that time you were separated from Christ? Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant? The covenants of promise. So, what is that kind of life like? He says it right here having no hope and without God, and you're living on this planet Earth for a very, very short time. And all you have is what you can put in your hands that you will lose at death. That's hopeless. But there's an answer. And his name is Jesus. So if we belong to Jesus Christ, if you belong to Jesus Christ this morning, then you are never without hope. You're in no situation ever in this life, even when it comes to death, that you face that situation without hope. And as followers of Jesus Christ, if you belong to Jesus, then you and I have the joy and the privilege and the honor of bringing this message of hope and salvation and deliverance and rescue to everyone that we know. So in the coming weeks, we are going to examine some of the greatest rescues that God performed in Scripture, and we are to never interpret God by our circumstances We should always interpret our feelings and circumstances by the character and word of our God. That's where we get into trouble every time. Well, I know this person and they have that, so therefore, God, I had this happen to me, I think that, and therefore, God must be, we're always backwards there. We then are creating a God that should fit in our understanding and should bow to us. No, thank you. I am not worthy of that kind of God. That's idolatry. So we have to right-size our salvation. We have to turn that around and have perspective that is God-ordained. And that's where we can make sense of every joy, every trial that we will and we do encounter in life. Impossible situations completely reversed God, my friend, is ready, willing, and able to save anyone who will come to him by faith. Repenting of their sin and trusting in him alone, and you don't have to wait till the end of the sermon. Every time the word of God is opened, the invitation is given by the Spirit of God to every heart to repent of your sin and confess Christ as Lord. You know, you don't make Christ your Lord You bow to him as Lord because he is Lord. He is king. He is God. We don't make him that. That's idolatry. Have you confessed him as Christ and Lord and God of your life? This will all prepare the way as we'll enter into the fall, the greatest story of redemption that is yet coming and rescue, and it's revelation, the unveiling of Christ. The unveiling of Christ. How do we make sense of the world that we live in and where is it all going? He's not done rescuing and he's not done redeeming. Exodus chapter 12. Two verses will provide our anchor for us. Verse 50. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people out of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. On that very day. So I want you to keep your Bibles with you this morning because there's gonna be a lot of scripture that will not come up on the screen because I want you to see it in your Bible because we don't have time to cover it all. So I want you to kind of mark the trail and you can go back and you can revisit those sections. Maybe even read these accounts um, today, this afternoon or in time. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you for your word and I ask you this morning that you will help me to preach your word clearly That you will help me to preach your word humbly and without compromise or apology. Lord, help us to hear, to understand, and obey your word. Every single person, help us to respond in obedience today. In Jesus' great and good and powerful name we pray, Amen. amen. We believe this about the Bible, all right? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So all of the scripture that was written, Paul says in Romans, everything was written for our benefit that we might have hope, for our instruction that we might have hope. So there's three dimensions, three dimensions of deliverance that lead us to engage in the divine mission. And we're going to look at these this morning. So when we look back in our Bibles, we're not looking at a different, the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. And No, he's the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And so as we look into his word, we go gold mining. We're digging for treasure. We're trying to understand and know this God so that we can make application across all of these generations and centuries and culture and language to where we live, to where you live, to where you work, to your family to our culture. How do we apply his word to our lives? There's three dimensions, and we begin, in the first dimension is this, begin with God's sovereignty. We begin there. If we're gonna wholeheartedly engage in the mission, then we have to come to terms with God is sovereign. The reality that the Lord reigns, that He's in, he is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords, he rules over everything, and for the child of God, there is great comfort in this verse. We just finished Philippians when Paul told him, The Lord is at hand. He's right near you. And He's sovereign. Spurgeon said it this way He said, The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. You think about that. When you slept last night, who was keeping everything going? Not you. We were like sacks of potatoes on a bed or somewhere great or not so great sleeping last night or trying to sleep and trying to breathe. All of the things we do to try to get a night's sleep. You know, animals, sickness, kids, all the noise, all that stuff. Who is controlling and running the universe? I was just trying not to snore. Right? God is sovereign. He reigns. He's sovereign over nature. And we see this that the Creator God was and is and always be sovereign over his creation. He was sovereign when the famine in Genesis brought Jacob down to Egypt. The Lord would change His name to Israel. The Lord was sovereign over that. Hey, your son's alive. There's food in Egypt. Let's go to Egypt. But God was also sovereign over all of the forces that he used to completely level Pharaoh's kingdom in Exodus. He is sovereign over nature. When storms come, and I'm sorry they keep coming. You know, Dave and I, keep, we keep cleaning our yard, and then another storm comes. It's like washing your car, more rain. So it, it just more tree limbs keep falling out of the trees. We clean it all up, and another storm comes, and then my wife says, you need to clean the yard out there. I'm like, this is thankless. You know, this is crazy. He's sovereign over nature. He is sovereign over nations. He is the covenant-keeping God. He was sovereign. He is sovereign. He will always be sovereign over all families, tribes, and peoples. So God was sovereign over the jealousy and the hatred in Joseph's home that his brothers hated him. They couldn't stand him, and his father sends him out to find his brothers, and they see him with his coat, and look at his coat, and daddy's little boy, and he likes him, and let's kill him, no, let's kill him, throw him in a pit. Here comes a a band of Ishmaelites, let's make some money off him, let's sell him for the price of a slave. They send him ahead to Egypt. God was sovereign over that. God was sovereign over the temptation and the hardship when Joseph faced it, And and Potiphar was out of town, and his... Master's wife said, hey, Joey, come on in. Nobody you'll know. Not a big deal. Sleep with me. Not doing it. God hasn't given you to me. You're not mine. We're not married. I'm out of here. And she grabbed his coat. And when Potiphar came home. Look what your Hebrew servant tried to do to me. So where did he end up? God was sovereign over that time. And he was in Pharaoh's jail, Pharaoh's prison. And he was forgotten there. Two years. He was left there. And there he is, and God was sovereign over that. God was sovereign over Joseph's promotion and the dreams. And then suddenly he is over second in command over all of Egypt. God was sovereign over that. And God was sovereign over all of the time that would transpire to get to the Exodus 12 over those hundreds of years when his people were going from a small little family into a nation. God was sovereign over that. Long after Joseph died. Psalm 96.10 says it this way. Say among the... Notice it doesn't say the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Say among the nations... This is everywhere, all people groups. The Lord reigns. The world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And he's the only one that can rightly manage that word equity because he's perfect in all of his ways. He's sovereign over nature. He's sovereign over nations. And he is sovereign over nanoseconds. He's sovereign over time I've never used the word nanoseconds in a sermon before I don't believe but there's not a thousandth or a millionth of a second that the Lord is not sovereign he didn't he never has he never will not off and I missed that I'm sorry what were you saying I was, I was there with you and I just lost lost it for a little bit and oh what all right that's not God He's sovereign over all times and seasons. So nearly 400 years go by between Joseph's death and Moses' birth. In all of that time, in all of those centuries, God was quiet, but he wasn't absent. There's times that we face in life where God seems to be quiet, except, you know, sometimes people are like, I just wish God would speak to me. Right? You need more? He has in his word. It's written down, 66 books. No prophets would come during that time. No word from God. But it was just enough time for God to take one family, transplanted from home, outside of Egypt, for them to grow into a mighty nation in the land of Goshen. The people were there waiting on God to keep his promise to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No doubt they ask many times, where is this covenant-keeping God that we have been told about? How long, O Lord? Go to Exodus chapter 1 with me. Exodus chapter 1, we see in a brief way this account of 400 years In the summary, it was Genesis ends and Exodus begins. Exodus 1, verse 6, Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Verse 8, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph, and might I add, he didn't know Joseph's God either, and he forgot his history. There wouldn't be a land there without Joseph and Joseph's God, or a people. Verse 9, and this new king over Egypt, this Pharaoh said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built, the Israelites built for Pharaoh store cities, uh, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread because of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick. And all kinds of work in the field, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. This is an awful environment that these people are in. It's like they have no voice. They have no advocate. Joseph is gone. Pharaoh has all power. He can do whatever he wants to do. Now, look at the demonic influence coming up in Egypt as verse 15 wasn't enough to just have them enslaved as a force of people. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah, the other Pua When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. It's kind of like reverse of the China policy that they used to have one child and there was often selection because I have to have someone to take care of me in my old age. Anytime you deal with any type of infanticide, it's always from hell because every single person is made in the image of God and Satan hates those images, you and me. He hates us because we tell him he's not God and he can't create anything. And the thief comes, Jesus said, to steal, to kill, and destroy. So anybody that buys into that line of abortion, infanticide, or even in elderly years, euthanasia, it's a doctrine from hell. And we're, we're not even foggy about this. And so we will protect life from the cradle and before the cradle to the grave. Amen? Amen. This is what Pharaoh comes up. Who, is this? Who are these people? And so here, I'm going to tell these midwives. Midwives aren't that powerful, are they? Like midwives, I got an order for you. Do this. But, verse 17, the midwives feared God. Oh, that's a problem. A people who fear God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male chil- children live. They just said no. No. You're not greater than God, so no, we're not killing the boys. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwife said to Pharaoh, Oh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. And they're vigorous. They give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people. Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now there's irony here. You see, Pharaoh, he's the big man on the throne, the big man over the kingdom. I'm a man, man's world. So kill all the Hebrew boys, and I don't really care about the Hebrew girls. They don't pose a threat to me well we're not going to read it but Exodus 2 opens with Moses was born of a woman hidden by a woman guarded by a girl found by the daughter of Pharaoh and then nannied by his own mother and sister until he went to move in the Pharaoh's house under the authority of the Pharaoh's daughter Pharaoh missed it he was worried about the boys There's some women here with some real fervor and grit. And some of you are just like them. And you've prayed for your families, and you keep praying for your family, and you love your husbands, maybe some who are not yet followers of Christ, and you don't give up. God can change a nation and a world through women. So I just thought I'd throw that in. That's just all I... (laughs) I love it. Pharaoh's like, eh, they're no threat to me. And God's like, okay, here you go, just a few midwives. And he knows their name and they're recorded. And here we are thousands of years later when everybody else that just bowed down to do whatever Pharaoh wants, what is their name? Who are they? What happened to their life? What happens to your life if you live it for you? It just fades like grass and you're gone and no one remembers your place. Oh, but you invest your life like these ladies? They know God's sovereign over you, Pharaoh, and you're going to stand before him, and we will too, so we're not doing what you say. Secondly, we see God's servants. Here's another dimension. Not only that God is sovereign, but look look, look at God's servants here. What do we need to learn from the life of Moses here? What should we learn from this guy? Man, what a mom he had. You know, she protected him. And he goes to live in the house of Pharaoh. Well, first of all, we need to learn from Moses to deny self. Another way for us to say this is we need to get low. All right, if you grow up in a palace, you might think you are something special, right? Where do you live? up there you live up there yeah that's my house I'm in line to a throne well God wasn't ready to use him yet some of us the Lord may want to use but we're not emptied of self yet we're still trying to control everything we're still trying to arrange everything well as soon as I get the calendar and the thing and the, I'll work this out and I'll work that out and I'm God? Or do you bow to the one who made you and you bear his image? Moses, when he was 40, attempted to deliver the children of Israel in his own strength, and what did he do? He fell flat on his face. He failed miserably. So then the Lord put him out in the shepherd's school, the seminary out there in the wilderness, for about 40. In Egypt, Moses was unusable. When the Lord comes to him 40 years later and he's unwilling, no, I can't go, I'm a bad speaker, I can't go, you know, like, well, I'll go with you and I'll send you your brother in here. But when he came in the presence of the Lord, in the power of the Lord, he was unstoppable. This is how God works, but he had to get low. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, so he's about 40 years old, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, no person, no human being, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Which way did he forget to look? <laughs> Up. When we sin, which way are we ignoring? Up. The sovereign God. 13, When he, actually he didn't do that good looking this way or that. When he went out the next day, behold, there was two Hebrews struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? We saw what you did. Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. I guess I didn't look good enough this way and that way. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Okay, he's 40 years old. He tries to deliver his people, falls flat on his face, and he runs for his life. Find him out in the wilderness, 40 years old. He's sitting down by a well. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? It's like he is in royal timeout. Can't go home. I don't have a people. Where do I go? What do I do? And the Lord has not forgotten him. He is right where he needs to be at the right time and the right place. You know, the Lord has done this since I've graduated from Bible college. He's done this at least three times in our life and marriage where I was ready to go. I was ready to serve the Lord. And nobody would hire me, first of all, until I got married. Then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, you're kind of, yeah, you might. package deal? Sure, we'll take you in Illinois. We go to Illinois. That time in ministry went to an end. We go to Kentucky. And it's just kind of another timeout, like Moses sitting by a well. Where, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? We can't get called to Michigan, work in Sterling Heights, serve there, economy falls apart, and we're back out by the well, sitting there like, okay, what do we do? Where do we go? And I am confident that the Lord opened this door. I am confident that the Lord has done that purposefully in our lives for multiple seasons to say, do you only serve me when you get a check from a church? Do you only serve me when you have a, some door somewhere with a title on the door? Or will you serve me no matter where I put you? Will you be faithful? I know the Lord has tested in, in that way. And how he has come through and is beyond good to us in his faithfulness. Moses had to learn this. He had to learn to depend on the Lord. That is, he had to get honest before the Lord. He had to receive help from the Lord. He couldn't do it on his own. He tried, and it didn't work. He just fell flat on his face. So then he's out in the wilderness for 40 years, and what is he doing out there? Well, he gets married. That'll teach you some things, right, fellas? Oh, my wife is so uh, fortunate to have me. and Yeah, we've got some learning to do. We've got some, some humble process. Along comes some children. That'll teach you and reveal areas of selfishness in you. Like, I was really tired. Like, ah, I need a diaper change. need food. <sighs> He's going through learning how to care for others. That's why it's beautiful to get married. Die a single self. Devote your life. This is what Moses learned. Like, what's going on here? It probably felt like 40 years of just what are we doing? Oh, the Lord is teaching him, the Lord is preparing him. He's growing him. He needed to be faithful in the little things. And there's nobody big watching but God. And we see this in Exodus 2 and verse 23. The people are down in Egypt. They're waiting. They're suffering. They're crying out to heaven. They need a rescuer. They need a deliver. Uh, verse 23, Exodus 2, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue came from slavery, came up to God. Notice that they weren't even praying to God necessarily. They were simply crying out and the Lord heard them. Maybe you are in that place and you are crying out and you don't even know, is there a God? I'm not sure if I believe there is a God. He hears. He hears the prayers are coming up to to God in verse 24. And God heard their groaning. Look at this. He heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Do you hear the intimacy there? He is right there. It's been hundreds of years. In Exodus 3, go to the next chapter, verse 7, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land, out of that land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You realize he's talking to a man here? You have to be that specific with men. He's given him every detail, and he repeated himself a couple times. (laughs) Um, What was that, uh, Lord? uh, Moses, I'm giving you the details. But Moses said to God, Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Are you sure about this, Lord? Have you thought of Lord, you know, Remember last time, Lord? It didn't go so good. And Moses did what we often do. Well, I was going to do that thing, but I... And start filling in the excuses. Ugh, I just don't know enough. I was going to share the gospel. I'm just not sure I know enough yet. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Moses world. Who am I? Sounds so humble, doesn't it? The wrong question. What's the right question? Who are you that you would want to use me? Okay. This is what the Lord says. Verse 12. He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt. In God's mind, it's done. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Write it down, Moses. You're going to be back. And when you come back, you will say, the Lord told me this was going to happen. And he didn't miss one little part. So what do we need to do then for Moses? Do our part. This is where we have to get involved. We need to get going. Stop making excuses. So Moses was reluctant to go, but yet he finally yielded. And and here comes Aaron. I'll send Aaron with you, and he'll go with you, and you guys will go as a team. And that came with blessings and burdens. He engaged when he got to to Egypt with the Israelites and with Pharaoh, and he got on the mission. He stopped making excuses, and he went, Exodus chapter 4. Verse 18, look at how, do you see what I'm saying about as Moses entered into marriage, he was a shepherd, so he had to learn to deal with the sheep and the stinky sheep and the wayward sheep and the lazy sheep and the stubborn sheep. Okay, he was learning. God was teaching him in that shepherd school. Verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, you know, I'm actually the son of Pharaoh, and I'll be going now, and I'll be taking everything that I gained here. Is that what he says? Nope. Please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace, verse 19. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. You see that? He's serving them. And went back to the land of Egypt, and Moses, where's my staff? I am not going without that staff. I saw what that thing, the Lord can do with that staff. It's going with me. Now, see, you've got to read all that because I'm not going into all those. I don't have time for all that. We'll be here all the way through vacation Bible school. Then we learn from Moses to declare the truth. All right, we need to get to the point. Share the word of the Lord. Stop beating around the bush. The the message that Moses was bringing, it was a hard message. It was an unpopular message, and it was an incredibly bold message. He came one man with his wife and his boys into Egypt with a message that would change the nation and change the nations, he came promising to rescue the Israelites, and he came demanding release. He was walking up to the Pharaoh saying, you have something and some people that don't belong to you, and you need to let them go. And if you don't, God is going to pry every one of your fingers back, and if you hold on tightly enough to what doesn't belong to you, he'll break them all. Exodus four twenty one. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power, but I will harden his heart. Well, we're right back to point one. God is sovereign. Why do you think that's fair for the Lord to do that? So you are in a judgment seat of God, and you can't, nor can I, look at his son for How long? Better think through this. I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Do you hear the message paraphrased? Hey, uh, Pharaoh, you are holding on to God's son his people. And if you don't give him his son back, he wants his boy. He wants his son. And if you don't give him his son that belongs to him, then he gave you a son and he's going to take your son back. So if you want to keep your son, let go of God's son. It's very clear. Exodus 5. Here's how Pharaoh responds. Afterward, Moses and Aaron, when said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness, verse two. But Pharaoh said, here's the question of questions that so many people are asking today. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Who, Who is the Lord? Who are you talking about? Do you know who I am? You're telling me about Yahweh who is he? I don't know him. Well, you're about to get to know him. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel grow, go. No. Not going. Exodus 6.1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. That sounds like a big change from, I don't know him. No, I'm not going to let him go, to get out of my land. Seriously, get out of my land. Exodus 7, verse 16. And you shall say to him, Moses to Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go. Do you see the delay and how merciful the Lord is in allowing all of this time for Pharaoh to get with it? Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far, it's not going real well, Pharaoh. You haven't obeyed yet. So Exodus 7, the water is turned to blood. Exodus 8, there comes a plague of frogs, gnats, flies. Exodus 9, the livestock of the Egyptians is killed. In Exodus 9, there's boils and hail. In Exodus 10, there's locusts and darkness. And in Exodus chapter 11, the Passover is instituted and then comes the death of the firstborn. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. It's a radically different statement there. God's sovereignty, God's servants, and the third dimension is God's salvation. Watch God set the captives free. Oh, he does this. We're called to be his witnesses. Go tell what he has done. We give all the glory to God. God's word never returns void. He always does what he promised to do. So he displayed his mighty power as one by one the gods of Egypt were defeated and Pharaoh who was also viewed to be a god was defeated the Israelites were released from slavery and they were sent out with a blessing. We see God's salvation here in this Old Testament account where Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt. The Exodus was a powerful, a powerful illustration of God's power. He used Moses. He worked through his servant and he set Israel free from the hand of Pharaoh. In chapter 12, Exodus 12, verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the the people to send them out of the land in haste. Get out of here, get out of here. For they said, if you don't get out of here, we're all gonna be dead. You gotta go, get out of here. Verse 34, so the people took their dough before it was leavened. So the Israelites, this is where the Passover came from. The Lord said, you're not gonna have time for your bread to rise. So that's why when we come to communion, even the cracker that we eat, it doesn't have any yeast in it. Because it's remember, they were given a promise, and the promise was bread won't have time to rise until you get out of here, and it doesn't look like it right now. When you're making the bread, you can't see what I see, and you're not going to have time for the bread to rise. So it's going unleavened. It's going to happen tonight. Take that to the bank. So the people took their dough before it was 11, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks and on their shoulders, the people of Israel also had, um, the people of Israel had also done, to, done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. They plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, beside women and children. A mixed multitude also went with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, for they they had prepared, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Verse 40. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations until we get to a better covenant. And Passover finds its place pointing to Jesus and that first resurrection morning. What happened to most of those people? Moses led them out of Egypt. What happened to most of those people? Most of them complained and rebelled against the Lord and died in the, died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb. Psalm ninety-five, eleven: Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's picked up again. The theme is picked up again in Hebrews. That if they were thinking, if we can just get to Canaan, ah, everything will be great. But they rebelled. And the Lord dealt with his people and said, no, you're not going in now. Even Moses, the great leader, he dishonored the Lord and disobeyed the Lord and he struck the rock twice when he was supposed to speak to it. And the Lord said, you've dishonored me before my people, and I know who you are, but you're not gonna go in and see the land. Joshua will take them in after you. Deuteronomy 18, 15. Moses parting words to the people. He says, the Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. You know what Moses is saying? Hey, people, I love you, but you need someone better than me. And he's coming. And he's coming from among you. When he arrives, do something different than you did with me. Listen to him. Do something different than I did. Listen to him. And he's speaking of Jesus. Jesus is the one who rescues sinners from the bondage of Satan. So that's wonderful. Moses, he led the people out of slavery, and then they all died in the wilderness. He said, for a handful, well, we need someone better than Moses his name is Jesus and he rescues sinners from the bondage of Satan and this is what happens when every sinner turns and trusts in Jesus they turn from their sin that's the word repentance and they place their faith and trust in Christ alone that was in our new city this morning faith what is faith in Jesus Christ question 30 Faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the truth of everything that God has revealed in his word, trusting in him and also receiving and resting on him alone for salvation as he is offered to us. He is offered to us in the gospel. It's Christ. It's not just heaven, it's Jesus. He's offering himself and he rescues sinners from the bondage of Satan. Colossians, Paul writes 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins he came in and conquered the enemy and said they're mine and we're out of here not pharaoh satan second corinthians 5 17 well how much does he rescue someone who trusts in the lord is it a partial rescue is it, well, you know, I have all these struggles and all these addictions and all these, uh, this ideology and pride and whatever the sin is you want to name. And so, uh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but he can't fix X. Well, what does the Bible say? 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's brand new. Everything's changed. This is a new creation. There's no sin that reigns over a child of God. Do we still struggle with sin? Yes. But we are not slaves to sin any longer if we are in Christ. Amen? So then what do we do with our lives? Well, I'm glad you asked. Christians bring people to Jesus. Okay? Moses, Great job, Moses. You got the people out of Egypt, and then you all died. Mm, we need somebody better than uh, Moses. Oh, Jesus, and he was born of a virgin, and he lived a sinless life, and then he died. But that's not the end of the story. And we're not going to break for a commercial. Three days, he rose again and he ascended to the Father, and he is coming again, and he will be unveiled, and every eye will see him, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, and every knee will bow. The question is not if you will bow, it's when you bow. Do you bow and receive him as Lord, or will you bow him only as judge? And then you are given the answer of the prayer of your life, and that is, I don't want Jesus. I just want me, that's what hell partially is, is solitary confinement, you stuck with you for all eternity in a place created for the devil and his angels. Why, why would you go there? Why would you choose that when he has paid everything and made this available to you? See, this is the history of the church, bringing people to Jesus. He's the hero hero of our stories, not us. And this is what Peter preached, Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. Nobody else. Not Muhammad. Nobody else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That message from Peter 2,000 years ago is still just as current for you today, friends. Have you confessed Christ as Lord? You remember how the psalmist said, and he said, the Lord swore, I will not, in my wrath, I will not let you enter my rest. Yeah, and, and then there was a man named Jesus who came, was born of a virgin, and what did he do? He took the wrath of God so that you could have rest. And then he gives this invitation in Matthew 11, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you what Moses couldn't give you. I'll give you what sex can't give you. I'll give you what your job and your career and everything, your reputation can't give you. I'll give you Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and here's what every human heart is desperately searching for. You'll find rest for your souls. Do you have that kind of rest? Why? How do we have this rest? Verse 30 For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember what we said about Moses? Where's that staff? I'm taking that stick. He's going with me. I'm taking that stick. What is it when Jesus says, Come to me? He, and you understand the farming analogy of the two oxen side by side and, and they pair up and Jesus is saying, Come with me. Who do you think is doing the heavy lifting? It isn't me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I created everything and I hold it all together by my word. I think I can handle you wise. Get over here. All right, Lord. Right here. I'm with him. He's with me. We're together. All these three dimensions. God's sovereign. He works his will through his servants and he is still saving people today. He reigns. He uses us and he redeems Well, that's something to sing about, isn't it? That's something to invest your life in, toward, isn't it? He's good. At the moment when everything looked the worst in human history, when Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, was hanging dead on a cross, and then they put him in a borrowed tomb. So much for our rescue. Yeah. That's Friday. Somebody tell me what's coming? Sunday. Absolutely. Let's stand together. Father, thank you that you gave your one and only Son, and He laid down His life for me, the wretched sinner. Thank you for the joy and privilege that we can stand here as your people today and rejoice in what you have done in us and what you are doing in us and what you want to do and will do in the lives of people everywhere around us. So Father, I thank you. And we are as a church, we are looking to the future and we want to see our community through this week of Bible school impacted, Lord, through lives and families that they will hear. And we want to take people to Jesus. We want to lead people to you, Lord. We are praying and we can't make it physically happen. You've been so good to us and you have blessed us with property and a future and you have given us financially, but we can't just will it to be done. You're gonna have to do this and we trust you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We'll be patient, but we wanna have a holy discontent that it is not okay with us for people around us who are living as if there is no eternity and no salvation and no savior. Change hearts today, God. Reorient our lives as your people today, God. And don't let it take 40 years in the outback pasture to do it. Do it in four seconds with us saying, God, what I succeed. Use us, use me, for all the glory and honor of Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.